cards and blessing people and, and just bringing some cheer. Amen? Is that good? That's, yeah. Amen. Down in Georgia, they have a saying, that's gooder than snuff right there. Now, I'm telling you right now, that's something else. <laughs> All right. Yep. Some of you, they're like, what, 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 what snuff? That's called dip. Copenhagen, right? So, well, I better go on. All right. <laughs> We're going to talk today, as you saw a minute ago, about an attitude of gratitude. It's, it's uh, most of the time when I am getting close to Thanksgiving, I'm finishing a series up, and I'm, I'm not really, per se, preaching on Thanksgiving. And this year, I felt like that I should. And uh, it's not often I do. It's been years since I've preached on the subject, basically, of being thankful or being grateful. But I believe God has a word for us today that will change us. Because what I have found is, is that when someone has an attitude of gratitude, it changes everything in your perspective. It changes everything in your life and those around you. How many knows what I'm talking about? How many of you have ever been around somebody that's always grateful and thankful? And then how many of you have ever been around somebody that's always grumbling and complaining? Right? Husbands, do not look towards your wife right now. Don't do it. It's not a good way to start Thanksgiving. <laughs> so let's talk about an attitude of gratitude here this morning. Uh, if you will stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word, you can find this on YouTube, uh, or not YouTube, YouVersion. We are on YouTube. Welcome our online campus to our YouTube channel and to our Facebook. We welcome you. Thank you for being here. Psalm 92, verse 1, and uh, it'll be behind me, but if you have it in your version notes, or if you have it on your device, or if you have an actual paper Bible, however you choose, uh, I'd like for you to follow me, and I'm going to read it now. Psalm 92, verse 1, in the New King James Version, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Let me just stop right there before I read the rest. It is good, how many of you ever want to know what's good sometimes? It is good... To give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. It is good, say it with me, it is good, to give thanks to the Lord. Yes, we should practice that every day. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the wonderful things that you have in store for us. I thank you that we do have a Rehoboth. I thank you that you've already picked out the perfect place for us. I thank you that we have a place that we're going to go. And you're going to give us great favor with that community. And we're going to see thousands of people saved and delivered and set free. I believe that in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, for this Thanksgiving season. I thank you that you've done so much for us. We give thanks to you now, Lord. And we say, praise your name. And Lord God, I ask you, Father God, to touch us right now. Anoint me to speak forth your word. Let the word not just challenge us, but encourage us that this whole next week and this rest of the year and moving forward, that every day we find things to be thankful for. Anoint me to preach your word, not in word and tongue only, but power and in deed. I ask you to anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have, and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word. And not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. And Lord, I'm going to be thankful. Amen. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. 
In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five two or three people as you're being seated. Hey, it's good to see you today. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, and I know that there are many things that we could complain about. If you turn on the news, there's all kinds of unrest in America. There's things that we don't agree with. There's things we wish we could be changed. But I want to tell you something. Having done missions trips and been literally around the world, I have found that there's no country in the world that's quite as good as living in the United States of America. We're free, folks. Done four missions trips to Honduras. I've done missions trips to Cambodia and Thailand. I've done missions trips all kinds of places. I've been all over the world. I've preached the gospel in different places. And I want to tell you something. There is no place like being in the United States of America. There's no place so free. There's no place so awesome to live in. No persecution in serving Christ. No place that, believe it or not, is as moral as it is in America. I've been to other places, believe me. I want to tell you something. I, for one, am thankful that I live in a country that no matter what they say, we still have the freedom to worship together like this. We still have the freedom to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We still have the freedom to live and serve God without persecution. Can I get a witness to anybody? Can we praise God for what God has done for us? I praise God. I do. I praise God for our freedom. I mean, only in America can a pizza get to your house faster than an ambulance. Only in America are there handicapped parking places in front of a skating rink. <laughs> Only in America do drugstores make the sick walk all the way to the back of the store to get their prescription. Only in America do we order double cheeseburgers, fries, and a Diet Coke. Only in America do we leave both bank doors open but chain the pin to the counter. Only in America do we park cars worth thousands of dollars in the driveway and leave useless junk in the garage. And only in America do they have drive-up ATM machines with instructions in Braille. <laughs> Those are all true. They really do have Braille on drive-up ATM machines. I'm not sure how that works out, but... How did Thanksgiving start? Most of us, let me just give you just a small little short history lesson of how we did that. The pilgrims we know sailed, go back to grammar school. I don't even know if they still teach the pilgrims anymore, but if they don't, look, we can learn together, amen? The pilgrims sailed to this country on the Mayflower, we know that. They were originally members of the English separatist church called the Puritans. They were looking for religious tolerance. So they actually went to Holland first because there was a little bit more religious tolerance there. But the Puritans, those separatists, couldn't take the Dutch way of life thinking it was ungodly and immoral. So they contracted with the London Stock Company to go on a pilgrimage to America. Now what you need to know about this on the Mayflower was is that the majority of the people on the Mayflower were actually not separatists. Uh, they were actually people hired at the, at the interest of the London Stock Company. So actually only about one-third of the people on the Mayflower were actually separatists. The other two-thirds were not. They landed, as you know and have heard, I'm sure, at Plymouth Rock, December 11, 1620. So last year was 400 years 
uh, since they landed in America. The first winter, if you remember in grade school, was devastating. As a matter of fact, the following fall, uh, they had lost 46 of the original 102 members. Now, let me, just, let me just tell you what that looks like. When you lose 46 out of 102, that's about 45% of your crowd. Now, listen. In the pandemic that we just went through, about 0.001% of people passed away. They lost 45% of their people. Now, can you imagine what that was like? 46 out of 102. But the harvest of 1621 was a big one. The Indians had helped them survive their first winter, those that survived. And so they wanted to do a special feast, a special day of Thanksgiving. So they included their 91 Indian friends that we now traditionally look back to and say the first Thanksgiving. And they celebrated a three-day feast, which was really an English harvest festival type feast. But they celebrated for three, three days the goodness of God, that they had a harvest and they were able to survive that winter. The Thanksgiving feast was not done the following year, but in 1623... There was a severe drought. The pilgrims got together and prayed the bear, because there was no rain. The next day there was a long, steady rain. And they wanted to thank God for his goodness, for giving them rain for their crops. They again included their Indian friends. They had yet another Thanksgiving feast and, uh, and celebrated the goodness of God. It wasn't until June 1676 that another day of Thanksgiving was proclaimed. Go forward 101 years, it wasn't again until 1777. As a matter of fact, October 1777 was the first time that marked all 13 colonies came together as a special day of thanksgiving to God, especially celebrating the patriotic victory over, uh, of the British at Saratoga. So they all came together, basically those 13 colonies, what we now know as the United States, the beginning of them, to celebrate. Twelve years later, George Washington proclaimed a national day of Thanksgiving in our country in 1789. And here's just a few quotes from it. I love this. What would we do to see a president proclaim something like this for our country again? Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, and to be grateful for His benefits. This was George Washington in his national day of Thanksgiving proclamation for our country. To recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer. To be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God. That we may then all unite in rendering unto Him our sincere and humble thanks for His kind care and protection of the people of this Country, Can you believe that we had a president proclaim this publicly and the country rallied around to give thanks to Almighty God for all that he's done? Can we, can we say praise God for that? It was Sarah Joseph Hale who was a magazine editor, probably best known for her nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb, that she wrote. Uh, that we have as a reason to thank for what we now know as Thanksgiving. Hale was an editorial champion for the Boston Ladies Magazine and later in the Godey's Ladies Book. Finally, after a 40-year campaign of, of editorials and writing governors and presidents, finally she got uh, the first National Day of Thanksgiving since George Washington when in 1863, President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed the fourth 
Thursday in November as the day of Thanksgiving in our country to give thanks to God. Every president following that followed suit until 1941 when Congress finally voted it in as a national federal holiday, always the fourth Thursday in November of every year. I think it's great that our nation has wrote it into a federal holiday, a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God for His goodness and all that He's done for us. Can we give God praise for that? That's awesome. I mean, we should be thankful, right? Psalm 104 says, Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. Did you know that's a command, not a suggestion? Colossians 1.3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we live in a self-serving, uh, uh, ungrateful, unthankful society, very self-absorbed. But Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Watch this. And be what? Thankful. Be thankful in the Greek is a command. God is not asking us to be thankful. God is not suggesting to us to be thankful. Uh Uh-uh. He wrote in the good book and said, we are to live a life of thankfulness. Somebody say amen. Man, what would happen if God's church all was thankful all the time instead of complaining half the time? What would happen with Christianity if we all just learned to be thankful at all times? This generation we live in again is... Is a generation where it seems like nobody's thankful for anything. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 2 tells us, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. We're aware of this. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. And watch what it says, ungrateful and unholy. Leave this up for a minute. Look at the list that God equates ungrateful with. We look at ungratefulness or thankfulness and say, well, you know, it's, just, it's, it's okay, but it's not up there with, you know, all them other things. But look, God says ungratefulness is right up there with some of these other things that we look at. That's incredible. I mean, we live in a Babylonian culture today where we're self-absorbed. You say, I'm not self-absorbed. Okay, let's do a little test. When you get a group picture with someone, who is the first person you look at in the photo? Let me ask it again. When someone takes a group picture of you with other people and they show you, who is the first person you look at in the photo? Everybody shout out, me! We live in a day when we can have whatever we want our way and it's caused some to be ungrateful. Some people complain that there are thorns on the roses. Other people thank God that there are roses among the thorns. Which are you? The pilgrims, listen, made seven times more graves than huts. As a whole, as a society as a whole, no American group of people had it any harder or any tougher or any more things go wrong than the pilgrims in our 400-year history. Now, there are people that suffer in America. There are people that are less fortunate. But as a whole, nobody in 400 years had it as bad as them. Yet they proclaimed the day of Thanksgiving for how good God had been to them. Wow. So what should we be thankful for? 
Well, here's just a few things before I get into the points of the message. The grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. How many of you are grateful for the grace of God? How many are thankful that God has forgiven you and set you free? How many of you are glad God delivered you, saved you, filled you with the Holy Spirit, and set you on a new course in life? Woo! About to preach myself happy. We ought to be thankful for our relationship with God. Did you know that the God of all the universe, the God who created everything, the Bible says he knocks at the door of our heart and says, I want to come hang out with you. I want to spend time with you. I know you're filled with sin. I know you're going to fail. I know you're weak. But I will stop everything to spend time with you. I want you to walk with me. Man, I want to tell you, it's time we walk with God again. We ought to be thankful that God gives us purpose. Look what Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. How many of you are glad that God has hope for us? God has a future for us. Listen, you may be in here today and you may have suffered loss recently. You may have a bad, I was just with someone yesterday and they said, man, the last five years I felt like Job. I've lost both my grandfathers. I've lost my dad. I lost my wife. I've lost, I've lost, I've lost. It's been tough. You may be in that place. I want to tell you, if you're there right now, God has plans for you. Life is not over. God's got a future for you. God's here to give you hope. Woo! Somebody shout glory. We ought to be thankful for our family, thankful for our friends, thankful for a car to get back and forth to work, thankful for clothes to wear. Man, listen, we live like kings and queens in America. Listen, listen to this. The poverty line, what they consider the poverty line in America. So if you're at this level of income and below, they say you live in poverty. Listen. The poverty line to be declared that you live in poverty in America is wealthier than four-fifths of the people in the world. If you're at the poverty line, you are wealthier than 80% of the world, folks. Can someone say, thank you, Jesus? We live like kings and queens, folks. Thankfulness is a matter of perspective. See, gratitude consists of being more aware of what you do have than what you don't have. A man went to, from Budapest, he went to the rabbi, and he said, man, he said, life's unbearable. He said, there are nine of us living in one room. What can I do? The rabbi said, go get your goat, take the goat in the room with you. The man looking at him like, man, I don't know what this guy's talking about. You know, unconvinced. The rabbi said, no, no, do what I tell you. Go get the goat, put him in the room, come back to me in a week. Well, a week later, the man come, head down. He's more just frantic than before. He's more distraught than ever before. He said, we can't stand it. The goat is so filthy. The rabbi said, go home. Take the goat out of the room. Banish him outdoors. Come back to me in a week. The man radiant in his face, a new skip in his step. 
He said, life is wonderful. <laughs> he said, we all are enjoying every minute with no goat and only nine of us in the room. Isn't it amazing how two weeks' time can change someone from nine in one room to being miserable to nine in one room to being wonderful by simply adding a goat and taking a goat out? I wonder how we're looking at things in our life and what our perspective is. I remember when Caitlin was diagnosed with diabetes, I, I didn't know what it meant. As a matter of fact, Holly had taken her to the doctor, and I came in. My pastor set me down. I mean, I, the way he presented this to me, I, I thought she died. I didn't know what was going on. He said, I need you to sit down. I thought, well, what's wrong? He said, well, I have some very bad news to tell you. I just, I mean, I just was expecting something. He said, well, you know, Caitlin, she went to the doctor. Well, she's at the hospital. I'm thinking, why is she at the hospital? What's wrong with her? He said, well, they've just diagnosed her with diabetes. Well, diabetes isn't in my family. So I thought, what? I don't understand. What does that mean? Well, you know, it's, it's going to be all right. You know, he's very, just, it'll be okay. God's got her. Well, she's four years old. She certainly didn't know what it meant because I didn't even know what it meant. So down to the hospital we go, and we're trying to learn, Holly and I, very quickly what diabetes is and how you handle type 1 diabetes. You can't control it with diet. So there, we, we're whirlwind into this whole system. They're giving us oranges and taking shots and shooting into an orange. You better learn this. You're taking her home and you got to give your daughter shots. We were stunned. What do you mean I got to give my daughter a shot? I don't, I don't, I don't, even, I don't even like needles. Well, Mr. Howard, you're going to have to do it. Holly, you're going to do it. I can't, I can't give her the shot. Well, I am okay. Stand still, my four-year-old. Give her a shot. She's crying, looking at me like, Daddy, why'd you just hurt me? It, it was devastating to us. Holly and I had no clue what we were doing. My whole entire family had to learn how to handle this. My sister didn't. She's a nurse. But the rest of us were trying to figure this out, you know. And then you give her the shot and then give her something to eat. Well, you just loaded her up with insulin. And now... She doesn't, hungry, I don't want to eat, she's four. How do you tell a four-year-old, look, you got to eat because you just got insulin and it's going to drive your blood sugar down, so you're going to eat whether you like it or not. I mean, this is what we went through for years. And I remember I was mad. I had to load her up. We had just moved to Atlanta and to Eggleston Children's Hospital we go. And I'm hour drive there. It was I had to take her to the appointment. I can't remember why Holly couldn't go that day. And I mean, I'm mad. The whole way I'm just grumbling. I'm complaining to God. Why does my daughter have to have diabetes? Why this? Why that? Don't you know how hard it is to give her a shot? And she's crying, looking at you like you're evil. Don't you know we have to prick her fingers? And she's four and five, and it hurts her. And she cries, and it's miserable. I'm telling you, it was tough. And I was complaining all the way there. Man, we got in that waiting room. By the time I got there, I was in a bad mood. And I sat in there, and then they said, well, the doctor's running late. You know, it'll be at least 40 minutes. Well, now I'm fuming. I'm ready to rip somebody a new one. I mean, I am hot under the fire. And I start looking around, and they bring in this one kid in a wheelchair with no hair. They bring in another kid in a in a chair that can only move his head. He's totally paralyzed. We see these other kids, and I mean, they have obvious deformities. They're in wheelchairs. They can't move. They're laying around. I mean, they're sick. They're obviously, they have leukemia or cancer. They got no hair on their head. They look pitiful. They're on death's door. And I'm looking at these kids in this waiting room, 
And I look over at my little girl and I think, well, look at her. She can still run. She can still play. She, she's not going to die from this. And man, God broke my heart right there. And I went from being so angry and so fuming to when I got a good dose of perspective of what other people were going through. I said, oh, God, thank you that only she has diabetes. Thank you, God, that we can just give her a shot and she can still eat and she can still function in life. Thank you that, God, she's at a place where she can play sports and can live a normal life. Thank you, God, that she's not like one of these kids. I, I feel bad for them, but, I, man, I thank you, God. It totally broke my heart. It changed my whole perspective on that. I want to tell you, sometimes in America, we just need a good dose of perspective. I'll never forget taking a family from this church to Honduras, and I take them to the dump where they come on garbage trucks and they dump trash, and it's the only place in the world I've ever been where buzzards, cows, dogs, and people fight over the same pile of trash. And I'll never forget that first family that went with me over there from this church, and they looked and they were just stunned because it's, it it's gripping. And they looked and they were so gripped by it. And the daughter said, Dad, we got to do something different when we get home. And the dad said, Honey, I think you're right. We got to do something different. I'm going to tell you a good dose of perspective will change everything. Man, aren't you glad how good? How many of you right now are thinking, Man, God's been good to me? <laughs> hey, if you're not digging out of trash piles at the dump with dogs, cows, and buzzards, God's been good to you. Somebody say amen. Motivational writer Dale Carnegie asked Captain Eddie Rickenbacker what the biggest lesson he learned from being 21 days adrift in the, in, in the Pacific Ocean. 21 days at sea. Here's what Rickenbacker said. The biggest lesson I learned from the experience was that if you have all the fresh water you want to drink and all the food you want to eat, you ought never to complain about anything. Boy, isn't that so good. And that leads me to point number one. The points won't be long today. We need to practice giving God thanks. Let's say, say it with me. Say, we need to practice giving God thanks. Shout it out, thanks. Praise and thanksgiving should not be just a one time a year that we set aside. It shouldn't be an occasional thing. We ought to get up every day and say, thank you, God. You've been so good to me. Yeah, come on. Praise the Lord. Psalm 34 and 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 30, listen, if his praise is continually always in your mouth, then there can't be any room for complaining. Psalm 30 and 12, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent, O Lord my God, I give thanks to you, what? Forever. Man, a thankful life draws God's attention and gains his favor. James 4, 8 says, when we draw near to God with our thanksgiving, God what? Draws near to us. And when God draws near to us, he brings his favor. In John 6, 5 through 13, in the feeding of the 5,000, what did he do? He thanked God, he blessed it, broke it, and he gave it, turned it into a miracle. Thankfulness gets our eyes on God and off all the other things, and it draws his favor. And Psalm 35 says, in his favor is life. Woo. 
Luke 2.52 says, Jesus grew in favor with God and with people. It's a prayer I pray over us all the time. Somebody shout a good amen. And that leads me to point number two, and that is this. Thankfulness produces a positive attitude. Everybody say thankfulness produces a positive attitude. Our attitude is the primary, listen to this, listen. Our attitude is the primary force that determines whether we're going to succeed or fail in life. I really believe that. It has been said that some people see difficulty in every opportunity, while others see an opportunity in every difficulty. It's all about perspective. Do you have an attitude of gratitude? Do you have a thankful heart and spirit that will change? If you do, it'll change your outlook on life. It'll cause you to have joy in great days. I was on the phone recently with Skinny Pete, and he said, I mean, I said, you having a great day? He said, always. It was early in the morning when I called him. He said, always. He said, before my feet hit the floor. I said, man, today's going to be a great day. Man, Pete, I love that. And I've been doing it every morning since. Today's going to be a great day. Amen. I did it this morning. Listen, it's hard to be depressed when you have a thankful heart and mind. One breast cancer survivor said there are an estimated millions of people battling through breast cancer. She said, I'm a survivor. And she said, when I fail to be thankful for my victory over it and the fact that I overcame, she said, I hear the voice of an eight-year-old named Christina who I met that had cancer of the nervous system. When Christina was asked at eight years old what she wanted for her birthday, Christina thought long and hard about it, and she said, I don't know. She said, I got two sticker books and a Cabbage Patch doll. I have everything. Wow, what an attitude. Are you a thankful person? How do you know if you are or not? Well, here's some questions. Which do you tend to talk more about, blessings or disappointments? Are you a complainer, always grumbling, always finding fault with your circumstances? Are you content with what you have, or are you always dissatisfied wanting more? Do you find it easier to count your blessings or your problems? Do you express thanks to others when they help you, or do you just expect it through entitlement? Would other people around you say you're a thankful person? See, we should avoid complaining and grumbling at all costs. We should find something to thank God about and be positive about in all situations. As a matter of fact, it is a command of God, Philippians 2.14, do everything. Everybody say everything. Is that everything? Listen, everything, listen, in the Greek, you look this up. Do you know what everything means in the Greek? Everything. Do everything without what? I hear some rumbling going on in the congregation. I heard someone say it's impossible, not with the Holy Spirit. Look at that, do everything, watch this, without complaining and arguing. That includes spouses. Better to be happy than right, I'm going to go on, all right. 
Americans are terrible about complaining, folks. Americans complain if the remote control doesn't work or it's broken somehow because, God forbid, they got to get up and turn the channel themselves. Americans complain because they got to clean their big house. Americans who have the money and have the ability to go to a grocery store will load up a shopping cart, and instead of being thankful that they can buy all those groceries and have a cabinet full of food and refrigerator full of food and have all they want to eat, they'll complain because one person's in front of them at the line. I better keep going. I'm meddling today, aren't I? You'll be glad when Thanksgiving's over. We don't like this one very much. Americans complain when they can't find one pair of shoes out of 20 in their closet that match the outfit just the way they want. As a matter of fact, in some places, in some circles, not here, of course, but if I was preaching at another church and I handed out $10 at the door, there'd be people complaining because I gave out 10 ones instead of two fives. Thank God y'all are not that way. <laughs> and you're not. A man wanted to become a monk. He came and he signed up. He said, what do I have to do? Well, the head monk said, well, you're signing up for 30 years. After 10 years, a decade, you get to say two words. After the second decade, you say two words. After 30 years, then you decide whether you want to leave or whether you want to live here forever. He said, okay, sign me up. 10 years goes by. The head monk calls him to the office. He said, all right, it's been here 10 years. He said, you get to speak two words. What do you want to say? He said, food bad. Okay. He went on 10 more years, 20 years into this process. He calls him back in the office. He says, what do you have to say? He said, bad hard. 30 years later, here he comes. 10 years later, 30 years of the process. He said, well, you staying or are you going? The monk says, I'm out of here. He said, well, that doesn't surprise me. He said, all you've done since you've been here is complain." Uh, I'm serious. If some Americans had been at the feeding of the 5,000, they'd have complained to Jesus and the disciples that they didn't have lemon for the fish or honey butter for the bread. And that's just the reality. 1 Corinthians 10.10, though, says, And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all what? Now, I want to tell you, it's hard to be thankful in some circumstances, but God says give thanks to him in all circumstances, for this is God's will. How many of you have ever said, I want to know what God's will is? I want to know what God's will is. Well, I'm glad you asked. He said God's will for you in Christ Jesus is to give thanks in all circumstances. You're not thankful for what happened. You're thankful that you got God in your life to help you through that situation. Somebody say amen. Aren't you glad God is not a fair weather friend, but he's there with us? Too many times we fail to stop and remember all God has done for us. There was a ministerial student in Evanston, Illinois, who was part of a life-saving squad. In 1860, a ship ran aground in Lake Michigan near Evanston, and Edward Spencer went out in the frigid water to his own detriment and saved 17 people's lives. He got very sick from it. It caused permanent health damage, and he died. And it was noted at his funeral that not one of the 17 ever bothered to say thank you. Wow. Two old friends bumped into another. And one friend looked really sad, so the other one said, Hey, man, what's wrong with you? He said, Well, three months ago, my aunt died, left me $40,000. 
Two months ago, my cousin died, left me $85,000 free and clear. Last month, my great aunt died and left me a quarter of a million dollars. He said, why are you so gloomy? He said, because nobody died this month. Which leads me to point number three. How many are glad about that? <laughs> a thankful heart produces a positive atmosphere. Say it with me. A thankful heart produces a positive atmosphere. Certain people with positive attitudes can change the whole atmosphere of something. Isn't that true? Some people bring out the best in others while others bring out the worst. Have you ever met somebody who never had a positive thing to say ever? They were always negative. I was in a revival service in Roanoke, Virginia, and I mean it was popping. Man, God was moving at the end. The pastor was all excited. Man, what God done for you? Man, they were, oh, man, God's healed me by faith. What's God done for you? Oh, he's touched me. He's been so good. Well, he got to about the third guy. He said, what God done for you? The guy said, well, I ain't done much lately. <laughs> my back's killing me. My kids won't talk to me. I lost my job. And the pastor was like, uh, okay, see you tomorrow night. <laughs> Have you ever met anybody like that? Look, when Nehemiah went to Jerusalem to build the walls, one of his greatest strengths was his attitude of prayer and thanksgiving to God for all God had done. His spirit of thanksgiving was contagious to everyone around, and they built the wall in 52 days. Listen, we have the ability to turn the atmosphere of those around us by our positive, grateful, thankful attitude. Somebody say amen. And don't ever take little things for granted. In Central Park, New York, they wanted to do an experiment. They said, what will happen if we do this? And they took a man, they dressed him up, put a sign around him that said, I'm blind, and gave him a cup. Stood out there the whole day, he collected $4. The next day, same man, same dress, same clothing, same cup, same everything. Nothing changed. Only instead of a sign saying, I am blind, they put on there at the beginning, it's spring and I'm blind. That day, he collected $40, 10 times as much. Why? Because when they said, it's spring and I'm blind, the people that could see realized, wait a minute, I'm getting to see the beautiful flowers. I'm getting to see the birds fly. I'm getting to see the trees. I'm getting to see the sunrises and sunsets. Man, I'm thankful that I can see, and they gave them more money. Why? Because they noticed, and it was brought to their attention, how good they had it. Someone say man. Luke 17, 11 through 19, Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem. He reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. Watch this. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance. Now, lepers, as, as just leave this up right where you're at. Lepers had no help. They were outcasts. No one wanted them around. No one could get near them. They traveled around living on scraps of food, living in caves. They were vagabonds to the T. They were dead by society standards. So ten lepers come to Jesus, and they are dead men walking. They cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, as they obeyed Jesus' instructions, the Bible says they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now watch verse 15 through 17. It's very disheartening. One of them, everybody say there was ten, but only one. When he saw he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was not even a Jew, he was a Samaritan. Verse 17, Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? 
Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? So verse 19, Jesus says to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now listen, none of us in here were natural, physical lepers. But every last one of us were spiritual lepers. And God cleansed us of a spiritual, sin-filled disease that we couldn't cleanse ourselves of. I have a question. Are you one of the nine that has failed to live a life of thankfulness to God? Or are you like the one that says, God, I'm going to give you glory all the days of my life? Wow. Some years ago in Germany, I'm going to close with this story in one scripture after. A young man lay on an operating table and a skilled surgeon with his students behind him stood there ready to operate. And he said, now listen, young man, he said, before I do this, he said, I want to give you a chance to speak because these will be the last words you ever speak. I want you to think long and hard of it because he had cancer of the tongue. And this is in Germany many years ago. He had to cut his tongue out. He said, you'll never utter another word. I want you to think about it. This young man at the thought of this really paused. He thought he was, you could see he was thinking. The students very somberly leaned forward, waiting. What, what is he going to say? These are the last words he could say. What's he going to say? Finally, his lips began to move. His voice, shallow, quivering, tears filled his eyes. It began to get louder. He said, thank God, Jesus Christ. His last four words he'd ever speak. Wow. Could you shout, thank God, Jesus Christ, just before your tongue got cut out and you could never utter another word? I'll close with Psalm 107, 21, 22. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he's done for them. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. I'm not telling you that it's always you're going to feel thankful. I'm telling you there are times that you just got to give the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving even when it don't look good. Even when the doctor's report is bad. Even when you've lost a dear loved one. Even when nothing seems...